Welcome back to the Gospel of John. If you're new, we've been walking through the Gospel of John since February of last year. We're going to finish on February 14th this year, so it's been a good year. Um, we're going to be in chapter 18, so grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 28 through, through 40. Uh, while you're turning, uh, let me just introduce our topic here today. Um, have you ever given any thought to the number of choices, the, the amount of things that you can choose in life? I think that's, uh, that's one of the things that marks the American culture. We, we actually like to have choices. Um, one of the most prevalent, you, you see it advertised all the time, uh, you carry it in your pocket, is your phone. Uh, of course, the iPhone is the best phone. That's meant to stir animosity to all of you. Um, people carrying something other than that. Uh, but of course, you have a, a number of choices of an Android, or, or there are probably are at least a few people, maybe even one in here, that has a Blackberry. Help, Lord help you. <laughs> so, I mean, not just phones, but think about it. We have a choice of, of cars. We can choose what schools we go to. We can choose what areas of town we live in. D.C. is, a, is a, like a foodie kind of a place, and so you can choose what kind of food you, uh, that you partake of on any day of a, of a given week. Um, this is the thing that, that confuses me about the, the urban life of, the, of, of metropolitan cities. It's the number of grocery stores in the, you know, the smallest amount of space. In Kingstown, like just, there's, not, there's a lot of people here, but it's not a big space. There's like five grocery stores within a three and a half mile radius. I, I just don't understand that. You got two giants, a Safeway, uh, if you want to splurge and go like five miles from your house, you can go to, uh, to Trader Joe's or go up to uh, the city of Alexandria, to Whole Foods. And, and for whatever reason, our neighborhood decided we needed a Wegmans. And you know what happens when you, I don't know what it is, you, you throw up a building, no matter how it looks, you put a Wegmans sign on it, and people come from all around the world just to go to a grocery store. I don't get it. So we got a lot of choices in our life. Well, this is what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't commend an endless number of choices. The, the Bible doesn't suggest that you should go through life looking for all these kinds of choices as you orient your life to the things that you do. The, the Bible says that you have two choices in, in any given thing. There are two ways that you should walk. The psalmist says, uh, blessed is the man who walks in the path, not of the, the wicked, but the path of the righteous. Matthew, in his gospel in the New Testament, says that there's two gates that we should enter, the, the broad or the narrow gate. He says the broad gate, there's lots of people going in it, and they're usually going the wrong way. So you should go through the narrow gate because there's few that enter therein. And from Old to New Testament, we're told that there are two kingdoms that we can dwell in. We can dwell in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. And, of course, where there is a kingdom, there's also a king. In our text today, we get to see two kingdoms collide. And just as we aim to experience a number and make a number of choices in life, we also have to choose which kingdom we'll dwell in, and more importantly, which king we'll follow. I think the... the this is a true statement. Many of us try to be our own king. We would make ourselves our own king. And for those of you that have made your crown, sat on your throne, and tried to rule your life and everybody around you, perhaps you've experienced this, that it always ends in, in disaster, you trying to rule you. And so the question before us all today, 
Who, who is your king? What, what is your king? What is the thing that you bring with you this morning that defines what success is and, and what a life well lived is for you? What dictates how you choose the things that you choose? How, how do you make the decisions that you make in your life? How do you decide how you should spend your time? How do you decide how you should spend your money? Who or what is sitting on the throne of your life acting as a king? When we last met, we saw Jesus get arrested. He was bound. He was uh, to undergo a Jewish, a, a Jewish trial. And this week, we'll see him undergo a Roman trial, all because he called himself a king. And Jesus didn't just call himself a king over a place or a location. Jesus really said he's the king over, over all our reality. What Jesus gives us is not just an option of, of which road to walk down, which gate to enter, or which kingdom we should dwell in. Jesus presents to us a choice that leads to life or death. And so what I want to do in our passage today is, is look at three questions that Pilate asks Jesus in, in, in his own attempt to decide which way, which road, the, the choices that he was going to make. So we're going to read together John 18, 28 through 40. 28 through 40. Let's read together. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourself and judge by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting that I might be not be delivered to, over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pause to say thank you for a day. Thank you for the the, 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 the trickle of snow that's coming down that reminds us of your creativity, that you are a God that, uh, that likes to mix it up. And uh, I know all the kids have been waiting for snow, and it's not coming today, but we thank you that it's coming down a little bit. Father, we thank you for the gathering of your church, uh, that you would um, put in our heart a desire to, to be in unity with other believers, that you would put in our heart a desire to hear and be encouraged and exhorted, and perhaps even challenged by your word, that you would put in our hearts a desire 
to be amongst the people of God and to be counted amongst those who would, who would raise their hand and say, I, I follow Jesus. Lord, help me to follow him more. So today as we incline our ears and our hearts to your word, Lord, would you meet us? I pray that you would anoint your word. Your, your, your anointing um, breaks yokes in our life. And today I pray that we would see Jesus high and lifted up, king over the universe, but more importantly, king over our own hearts. And I pray that in his great name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So the first question that Pilate asked Jesus that I want us to consider this morning is, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? So our text lets us know that Pilate gets up early. Uh, he starts a, uh, early one morning because the Jews, the, Jew, the religious leaders, had brought Jesus to him. Now, Last week, we looked at Jesus being tried before Annas, the high priest. And for whatever reason, John, the gospel writer, John chooses to skip over the, the secondary Jewish trial. That would be Jesus being taken from Annas, the high priest, to Caiaphas, his son-in-law, and undergoing a secondary, uh, secondary trial. But we learn from both Matthew and Luke's gospel that in the wee hours of the morning, after Jesus leaves the presence of Annas, Annas says that you're, you're a blasphemer, you're convicted, I'm going to send you to my son-in-law, the, the recognized high priest. Well, within that, that secondary Jewish trial, they bring some makeshift witnesses. They, have, they bring witnesses that say this about Jesus and that about Jesus, and really, none of it proves to be true, that the witnesses are, are really false. And so Caiaphas takes matters in his own hands, and he he directly asks Jesus, are you the Christ, the Son of God? And Jesus looks at him and says, you say that I am. And in Matthew's gospel, he says, I am. And you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the blessed, and you'll see him coming on the clouds, descending among the angels. And with that, it, the, the scriptures tell us Caiaphas ripped his clothes off in disgust and on the spot, he declared Jesus a, a blasphemer. And from that, Jesus was sentenced to go to uh, undergo a Roman trial in front of Caiaphas. And so that, that, that really is the background that brings us to the text that we are at now. And so Jesus appears before the Roman governor, and that Roman governor has, happens to be Pilate. We know a lot about Pilate. We know it because it, um, he's intimately connected to the death of Jesus. We know that as, as Bible reading Christians. But I would tell you, uh, secular history also tells us a lot about Pilate. Um, history shows that Pilate was a, a, morally, uh, a morally weak guy, but he was, he was brutal in terms of his, his leadership when he was governor in, in Judea. He was appointed governor by, uh, of Judea by Tiberius Caesar in AD 26, and he ruled for about 11 years, to include those years of Jesus' ministry and, uh, most importantly, those years uh, that year that Jesus died. Uh, Pilate ruled by force, force of arms, and his, his, his main choice of uh, force was the Roman legion. Uh, they would do his, his bidding. Um, he particularly ruled over the Jews with, with absolute force. He let them get away with very little, and, and he was particularly cruel and harsh to them, especially in regards to their religion. And that's why we see the, the Jews bringing Jesus to him for, for disposition. They couldn't do anything, at least legally, to put Jesus to death without uh, the Romans saying so. And in this case, Pilate was the Roman that would be the one adjudicating. 
And so what the text is alluding to us is, is the Jews wanted a quick trial. They wanted a, a quick trial. They wanted a quick execution. And uh, you can sort of sense it in the give and take. Pilate could smell something was wrong. Uh, I mean, right from the get go. And really, he doesn't assuage them. In fact, he's probably toying with them when in verse 29, he comes outside their palace so they won't be defiled. And he, he says to them, what accusation do you bring against this man? Uh, immediately when he says that, he, uh, you can imagine these religious people. Uh, they, they did have a little bit of influence over Pilate, but they would have been shocked that he was pushing back on them. They would have been disgusted. It would be like, I mean, how dare you even ask us that? Look what they say in verse 30. So Pilate went outside. Uh, what accusation do you bring this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. And so uh, basically what they're, this would be like one of us making a citizen's arrest of, of uh, a random person on the streets in Fairfax County, taking them to the local Fairfax County police office, going up to a police officer and saying, hey, I want you to arrest this man because he's done something bad. And the police officer coming to you and says, well, what accusation you got? I mean, what, what charge do you bring? And, and you're like, I don't, I don't have anything to say. I mean, that's, that's really what's going on. The Jews had no viable accusation, not even according to their law, in regards to why they were presenting Jesus to Pilate um, to undergo trial. And, and Pilate can sense that. What's going on really here is, is, is these Jews have a, a, a sense of their own religiousness. They have a sense of their own righteousness. They have a sense of their own trustworthiness. And at the same time where they're presenting an innocent man to, to Pilate to, to hopefully be executed, they are righteously uh, uh, forgetting their own, their own sins. And so they're thinking, how dare this man, in verse 30, even doubt what we're asking? And Pilate knows that something fishy is going on. He gives him a little pushback, and this is, uh, this is what he says in verse 31. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Now, this is a half-truth. Of course, if you read the Old Testament, you know there were provisions for capital punishment in the Old Testament. But because the Jews were under occupation from the Roman government, the Romans had taken away uh, any right for the Jews to put someone to death. So they needed Pilate to, to help them out. Uh, but really, again, what's going on is they're, they're plotting and planning to put Jesus to death. But the travesty of this whole thing is that as righteous as they were trying to be, their rightful righteous king was standing right there underneath their nose. We see the very first question in, in verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? This is an interesting scene that, that John is painting for us with the words that he's He's using uh, Jesus up to this point has been betrayed by Judas. He's been denied by Peter. He's been arrested in the middle of the night. He's been harassed and beaten up a little bit. He probably has uh, a, a busted lip, maybe a, a black eye from from Annas's hitman slapping him in the face when he responded to him. Jesus is bound up in chains. He's been up all night. And uh, uh, 
it's just the irony of Pilate asking a man in this condition. Can you imagine how, how weak and feeble Jesus might have been even in, in this case? And Pilate asked him the, these, this question, are you the king of the Jews? Here he is. Jesus is standing before the most powerful man, one of the most powerful men in the world. And he asked Jesus, the convict, Jesus bound up, are you the king of the Jews? That's an interesting question for Pilate to ask, especially considering how Jesus is appearing before him. There's no record in John's gospel that anyone had brought this question up to Jesus before. There is no indication that, that Pilate, that, that the Jewish religious leaders had accused Jesus of being the king of the Jews. So surely Pilate had heard about Jesus, but Jesus is hearing Pilate's words. And I, 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 I just assume that knowing that something is going on in Pilate's own heart, that he would ask him, are, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus starts to engage Pilate in that way. And let's see what he says. Verse 34. Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Verse 35, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What in the world have you done? It's almost as if um, Jesus back when he was with Annas uh, in the, the garden and and Jesus sort of turns the corner. The, the, the person who was on trial becomes the prosecutor, um, prosecuting the person who, is, who should be asking the questions. The same thing really is happening here. Jesus puts Pilate on the stand. Jesus is forcing Pilate to deal, to deal with himself, to deal with him personally, not in concrete terms, not deal with Jesus in terms of what Pilate had maybe heard about Jesus, not, not deal with Jesus in terms of what his soldiers, the Roman legion, might have said about Jesus. He's forcing Pilate to make a decision personally as to who he is. And I would argue to you, anytime we come into the presence of Jesus, he does that same thing to us. Perhaps he's doing that same thing to you today. Of all the things that you know about Jesus, that you've read about Jesus, that someone has told you about Jesus, here's the question that we have to beckon with as this scene sort of unveils this, unpacks this for us. Who will you say Jesus is? Will you say that he's a king? Will you say that he looks, smells, and, and, and is revealed to you like a criminal? I think the implications of these questions are, are too great for us to be ignored. They're too great for us to leave them unanswered, both collectively, but more importantly, uh, individually. And, and maybe you're here this morning and you've, you've brought this popular opinion that our culture has that Jesus is just a, a moral dude. He's just a guy that history says lived 2,000 years ago. He did some great things. He set a moral example for all the world to see. Uh, and, you know, and we, we give him a holiday. We give him some other special days. There's a book that even talks about what he's done. And that really is all I need to, that's all I need to worry about with Jesus. Yeah, if I were trying to be a good man, I would follow him more closely. But there's no, there's no ramification on my life in regards to Jesus except for the fact that he was just a good old man. Look at what Jesus says in response to Pilate. Verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting. They would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. 
but my kingdom is not from this world. When Jesus says kingdom, he's not talking about uh, a location at a particular place. He's not talking about a, a, a geographical entity or with, with walls around it. When Jesus says kingdom, he's talking about reign and authority. The, 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 Bible, version, uh, Bible, the Bible definition of, of kingdom would be God's rule over God's people in, in the place of, of God's choosing. And so Jesus is saying to Pilate, I don't come from here. My uh, my kingdom is not it doesn't dwell here. My authority doesn't derive from here. It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from anywhere. It comes from some other place. You call me a king. You can call me a king if you want to. That's more your term. I prefer God of the universe. In other words, Jesus is saying, my authority doesn't come from you at all, Pilate, if it, because if it did, I would have hundreds of thousands of people swarming to me to defend me. My authority takes place outside of this world. And, and really what Jesus is doing here, he's claiming to Pilate right here in this intimate setting where, where Pilate is supposed to be challenging him. And Jesus is, is really turning the, turning the table. Jesus is claiming uh, ultimate authority over everything that exists in all the earth. Um, have you ever, ever seen this? Have you ever seen a defendant that turns the table on someone that's supposed to be prosecuting them? I mean, this is beyond Judge Judy and Judge Brown. I mean, for those of you that watch those afternoon, like, kind of comical judge shows, I mean, this is like TMZ vintage scandalous kinds of stuff going on. I mean, a, a person that's, that's under trial that could be uh, deemed a convict and put in prison or worse, executed for them to to act like Jesus is acting before Pilate. We would call that person not sane, but but crazy. But this is what Jesus is doing. He, he doesn't get defensive. He's exercising his authority. Verse 37. Then Pilate says to him, this is Pilate in, in his retort to Jesus. So, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born, and for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And so Jesus says there's two types of people. There's people who, uh, who are on the side of truth, and there's people who are on the side of a lie. And the people who are on the side of the truth hear and, and intently listen to my voice. In fact, they recognize my voice when I'm talking. And so... Uh, 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 I think that the question that this is subliminally bringing out outside of the question, are you the king of the Jews, is which side are you on? Who would you say, if pressed, who would you say Jesus is? I think sometimes we think, especially when we're young, you know what? I'm, I'm going to sow my wild oats and then I know I'm supposed to be pr pursuing uh, perhaps a, a more moral life or getting my life together. But I'll do that after I have a little bit of fun. And then we, we find a mate, we get married and say, you know what? Uh, let's hold off, let's have some kids because we want our kids to grow up in church knowing the things about God and so all that stuff. But before that, we're just going to have some fun. And sometimes we think, think this way. You know what? I'm just going to get my, I'm, I'm going to meet all of my professional and my personal goals. And once I've met those, then I'll think about getting my life morally straight. But what Jesus is pressing us through his words to Pilate is, well, when we say that we'll address 
Jesus later with with our lives is to, to reject to to address Jesus later. The, the issue of Jesus really is to reject him. Who will we say Jesus is today? Jesus is forcing Pilate to make a personal decision in regards to who he is, particularly not just for the world, not just to the Jews, but in his life. And he's doing that same thing for us. The same thing applies to us. Who will we say that Jesus is? Will we say that he's a king? Will you side with truth or will you side with a lie? Another way to, to see this, another direction is, is to ask yourself, who has a final authority in your life? Who is the person? What is the place? What is that thing that when it dictates that you do something, you, you feel compelled to do it? Who can tell you how to live? Who defines your life? Who says what success is? And, and, and really, in, in layman's terms, that's what your king is. If you're following all those things, that thing that you jump when it says, I need you to do this, that's your king. And here's what you need to ask. Is that king Jesus? I think the chances are Pilate wasn't expecting these kinds of questions from Jesus. He was expecting to, you know, to, to find out the truth about why the Jews brought, brought Jesus to him. And, and sort of sort that out. But definitely he wasn't being he, he wasn't prepared to be challenged personally in regards to this man who was a would be convict. Pilate wasn't expecting to be on trial. And very likely this leads to his second question. Verse 38, Pilate asked Jesus. What is truth? I think a, a little bit of context, not, not, not sort of context, but tone uh, would be appropriate here. I mean, what kind of tone do you think Pilate asked that question of Jesus? I mean, was he was he flippant? Was he dismissive? Was he very serious? Was he sarcastic? Or, or perhaps was Pilate maybe in the, in the smallest, smallest way genuinely looking to know what the answer was to that question? What, what actually is truth? You think he was trying to get Jesus to tell him, tell me what truth is? I think what he says next gives us an idea of what's going on in his head. Look at the second part of verse 38. After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I've found no guilt in him. Those are those are like desperate words. Pilate says, I I can't even find one reason to accuse him. And I think as we look at what all the Gospels say about this interchange between Pilate and Jesus, here's what's clear. Pilate did not want to put Jesus to death. He did not want to issue a final verdict of guilty and actually put him to death, which is the very thing the Jewish, uh, the religious leaders were trying to get him to do. Pilate's a powerful guy, but I think he's being squeezed in this moment. Firstly, he's being squeezed by a little uh, uh, the influential nature of the religious Jews. Uh, they, they've got they've got his hand and they're squeezing it a little bit because they know that Pilate part of his power is 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 comes from Caesar. And if Caesar knows that there's one who is a, a would be insurrectionist or rebel in Judea and Pilate has done nothing to deal with him, they're just going to go and say, hey, there's a guy that's claiming to be king. And Pilate did nothing about it. And so Pilate's all about power. He's not going to let the Jews uh, one up him in regards to power. The, the Jewish leaders, they've stirred up this mob outside, and it's the Passover. And this mob, uh, they're, they, they, they're coming as angry people 
um, trying to force Pilate's hand. And oh, by the way, he has this guy who claims to be the king of all the world right there in his castle, right there in his, in his midst. I think the, the reality is Pilate's in a tough spot. But it's no tougher than the spots that I think the Holy Spirit of God puts us in. Oftentimes when he's trying to, to bring us face to face with the reality of, of who Jesus is. And this is the reality. Deciding whether you want Jesus as king never comes at a convenient time. It's never going to come at, a, at the right moment in your life. It's always going to be inconvenient. And more importantly, it's going to come at a time when it's going to cost you a lot. Coming to Jesus costs you in terms of your lot in life, the, the road that you choose, the way that you, you pursue your purpose. It, it perhaps may change the trajectory of your friendships and your relationships. It definitely will change the, the way that you think about your money, what you do with it, how you use it. There's a real cost to that. And so Jesus makes this statement to, to, to Pilate. He, he says he comes to bear witness to the truth. And he's forcing Pilate to make a decision about it. And so when Jesus says truth, he's not talking about uh, a, a thing being right or wrong. He's not necessarily talking about something that's true or false. Earlier in John, John says this about, about, uh, about, about Jesus. Or rather, rather, Jesus says it about himself. I am truth. When, when John, the gospel writer John, is talking about Jesus in the first chapter of his, his gospel, he says, Jesus comes full of grace and truth. And so this is what John is conveying to us through Jesus' words and his own words as he interacted with Jesus. Jesus, Truth is not an idea that you try to grasp with your hands or with your mind. He's saying truth is a person that you deal with. It's, it's a reality that you have to do something with. Truth for John is not right or wrong. Truth is, is coming in line with the reality that's, uh, that, that governs all the universe. Um, one of the funnest things I've ever done is I've gone kayaking. Uh, there's a, there's a, an Olympic training facility in Charlotte, and uh, I was invited with some other church folk uh, to uh, an, an open house of sorts. And uh, this training facility, it has um, the, the, the main attraction is this, this three to five category uh, rapids. I mean, dangerous stuff, but, but I mean, a lot of fun. It has rope climbing, um, rappelling, all, all kinds of outdoor activities. But again, the, the main activity is the, is the rapids. And I think grasping for the truth is like being in one of those, uh, I mean, a, a, a category five rapid. I mean, anybody ever been in one of those? I mean, that stuff is like dangerous. I mean, like, death, like, like I'm going to die. Oh, this. And so I, I wasn't in a category five rapid, but I was in a three and I thought I was going to die. And so we're in this kayak and there's like, there's a few of us. And, uh, and we're going down this rapid. And when you're going down a rapid, you, you go with the flow, right? You go with the, the way the current is going. That's the way you go. Because if you try and go against the current, you're going to hurt yourself. Definitely. If the current is going north, south, and you try to go north, you're going to drown. If the current is going north, south, and you try to go east, west, you're going to have to labor to just to, to get outside of the, the flow of, of the current. And I think that's what, that's what it means to follow the reality of the truth that, that Jesus is. It's following the flow of, of the current that, that he is, is giving to us about who he is and what he brings uh, to the world. 
I think so many of us in our, in our faith go against the current. There's no room for ambivalence with Jesus. And so this is what Jesus is claiming in this text. He's claiming, without even saying it, to, to be king. Jesus is claiming to be your king. Not only that, he's claiming to be the only king that will lead you to life. I said this in the beginning. You know, there's all kinds of choices we have in life, and many of those choices are those things that we're, that we're giving the opportunity to reign over our life. And in a few instances, we actually put a, throne, uh, you know, a crown on our own self and try to give our own self reign over our own life. But Jesus says this. He says, he's the only voice that speaks truth. He's the only one that can be a king that will lead you to life. And so Pilate asks this question, what is truth? And this is what Jesus says. If you're looking for the truth, I mean, it's right here. I, I am. I, I am truth. I mean, ever, have you ever seen anybody say that? I mean, wouldn't you just like, wouldn't your lip drop to the floor if you saw somebody just like, I am truth. That's what Jesus says here. Jesus is saying, I, I am truth. I'm what's real. If you want to swim with the current, you swim with me. This is a bold statement, but I'll, I'll say it because I really feel this. Um, I will never be a pastor, and this will, be a never, uh, this will never be a church that will tell you that choosing to follow Jesus as his disciple is an easy thing. It, it's not. When you choose to align yourself with the truth of Jesus, there's always a cost. But I think if you would ask anybody in our congregation that's been walking with Jesus for a little bit of time, even through the hard times and perhaps a little bit of suffering for what you believe, they would tell you, I would do it again. It's just worth it. When you come to Jesus, you come in line with the reality of who he is. And he says he, he embodies the truth. And Jesus, when you when you experience him, he gives you access not to just truth as as knowledge, but he gives you access to truth, which uh, which comes as real life. I, I think about this. Uh, I remember when I came to first came to Jesus. Uh, you know, a lot of us times we, we come to Jesus insecure. We're trying to prove ourselves in so many areas of life. And this is what coming to Jesus as the truth meant for me. Perhaps it would mean the same thing for you. You don't have to prove yourself anymore. You don't have to measure up to somebody else's standard of, of what right looks like or what good or bad is. Jesus tears all those things away because he gives you your identity. He is the one that's setting your goals. And he's the one, more importantly, that's telling you, this is who you are. It really doesn't matter what anybody else says. More importantly, Jesus comes and he sets you free. He sets you free from trying to prove yourself to yourself. He sets you free from trying to prove yourself to all those people who would demand things of you. So here's Pilate's final question. Pilate's final question that he asked the crowd in John 18 is, is really one that I think all of us need to, to ponder here today. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? He says that in verse 39, the latter half. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? It's an unassuming question. I mean, we, we've read it a lot of times probably. And the question is directed uh, from, from Pilate to, to Jesus. But hear that question in your heart for yourself. 
do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Which begs the question, will you receive the king of the Jews? I, I think there's a lot of tension in Pilate right here. I think there's tension boiling inside of Pilate. The, if you compare all the Gospels, there's seven times in Pilate's interacting with Jesus that he came back and forth. He came in and out of his headquarters, speaking to the religious leaders, speaking to this crowd, trying to find some excuse to let Jesus go. He finds nothing wrong with Jesus. Pilate's looking for a way out. And, and whether that way out is, is him not making the decision or, uh, or someone else convincing him to let Jesus go free, I think that the Pilate's goal is that this burden not be on him. Pilate remembers a Jewish custom. What's that custom? That they would release one, someone that's a, that's a prisoner. And so his idea, oh, I'm going to let this guy go. I'm going to present to them Barabbas, and I'm going to say, you want me to let, let Jesus go uh, as, uh, as, as, as my little taunt to you during the Passover? I honestly don't think Pilate cared anything about Jewish tradition. History tells us that when Pilate came to power in Jerusalem, he was one of the most ruthless leaders. In fact, uh, when he, the, the day he took over power, he brought in many idols of Caesar to tease the Jews and to, to make them irate. Of course, the, the, the Jewish religion was against any kind of idolatry above and against God. And they produced riots because the Jews uh, basically flipped out at, at this idolatry in their own cities. But here's what Pilate needs right here. He needs a way out. He's got a mob that's, that's, that's yelling at him. He's got religious Jews that are pressing him. And he's got King Jesus that he has to deal with. I think Pilate has his own king. Pilate has his own king to deal with, and it's his position. It's his, it's his love of power and of authority. And this whole predicament, this whole situation is threatening to cause him to lose both approval and power. And so he asks, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And verse 40 tells us the rest. They choose Barabbas. They choose a criminal over the, the, the Jewish king. I think life is full of choices. Which way will you walk? Which gate will you enter? In which kingdom will you dwell? Here's the question that we are left with in, in this text. Do you want Jesus to be your king? That was the question for, for Pilate. That was the question for these Jewish leaders. It was a question for the mob. Do you want Jesus to be your king, or will you take an imposter? So I would tell you, I would tell myself, something in all of our lives are acting as a king. Will your king be Jesus, or will it be an imposter? Think about this. Who rules your life? Who sets the rules for your life? Who defines success for you? And if you can answer those, go a little bit deeper. What is life like under the rule of all of, of that entity that, that sets all these parameters for you? Jesus says his way is the only way. His way is, is the only authentic life. If Jesus is your king, that means he defines, he defines the rules for you. He determines what success is. He defines your worth. He defines your identity. And our role is to participate in life with him.
Sometimes we come to gatherings like this. We come to church and we think that just coming to church, saying Jesus is my Savior, Jesus is my friend, is enough. I think a lot of us are easy with saying Jesus is my Savior. I mean, would you say Jesus is your king? Does Jesus rule and reign over the toughest part of ourselves to to have a reigning posture over your heart? Does Jesus rule there for you? Does what he say in your life go? Does what he wants to get done in your life happen? We all need a king. All the ways that we try to rule ourselves, they'll fail you. you. You may be successful at some things, but the truth of the matter is, all of us want a king. All of us need a king. And you'll either let somebody else be your king, or something be your king, or you'll let Jesus be your king. And here's the thing about Jesus. He's a king that you can trust. He's a king whose rules won't, uh, won't weigh you down. They won't burden you. He's a king that will love you despite yourself. Can you trust a king like that? Can you love a king like that? And this is the, the picture that, of, of the Jesus that we get. From here, he goes to the cross. He dies in our place for our sin. He's a, a king that lays his life down to show us that he'll lead us to life. King Jesus, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this picture of Jesus, one so humble and meek yet with authority. And uh, Lord, we see in his interaction with Pilate um, and interaction with us. We see in his words to Pilate, his words to us. We see in Pilate's questions of Jesus the response that Jesus gives to us. He is a king, not of a place, but he aims to be a king over our lives and over our hearts. He has a kingdom that will not end, that he invites us to. And he's a king that we can trust. So I pray that you would help us to put our trust in Jesus. That you would help us to dethrone all those ways that we try to rule ourselves. God, that you would help us to to cast aside all those other people, those things in our life that we allow to reign. And that we would let Jesus reign over our lives and over our hearts. Pilate asked the question, are you the king of the Jews? And and we respond, yes, he is. And and, and more importantly, he's king over me. God, may that be our, 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 our mantra this morning, that Jesus is our king. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
Amen.